Good day, and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Today's Pandemi story comes from Thomas, who talks to Dave from his family's home in Hanoi about the importance of contact tracing, the power of collective action, the bum gun's role in preventing toilet paper shortages, and how Vietnam learned from SARS. Dave ends the show with a poem, Antibodies with Our Love, in response to the pandemic and inspired by the work of Dr. Osterholm from the University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Disease and Research Policy. So today we are very fortunate to talk to Thomas Andrews, who's living in Hanoi, Vietnam. How are you today, Thomas? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Now, I know in Southern Ontario, we're just really looking to hear what the pandemic is like in other parts of the world. And uh, if you don't mind just going back to when awareness of the pandemic started in your neck of the woods, and could just tell us what your journey's been like with your family and your, with, with your wife and your young family. Um, well, we first heard of it uh, at the beginning of February, and that's when it became really part of the public consciousness in Vietnam. Uh, that was just as Tet Holiday was beginning, so everything shut down, schools shut down, work shuts down. But the big problem is that there's a huge migration through Asia. Everybody leaves the city and goes back to their hometowns. So that created a lot of concern and consternation. Um, we had two weeks off for Tet Holiday. We came back. School was supposed to begin. Uh, we came back on a Thursday. It was supposed to begin on Friday, and it was shut down. Nobody sent their kids to school on Friday. By that following Monday, the entire country had shut down. Business was shut down. Uh, and that's the tail end of February. That rolled through for about three months. And I would say it, was, it went continually, these restrictions grew stronger and stronger as time went on. We had our first wave. It got eliminated in just a couple of weeks. Then a second wave hit. And that was much more uh, widespread. That hit all of Vietnam. Uh, during which time we had our, uh, the most intense lockdown. And that was at a, probably in around May. And then uh, about three weeks, and we went for about 100 days with absolutely no cases whatsoever. And then about three weeks ago, uh, a fellow was smuggled in from China I'm not sure exactly the reason he wanted to be in Vietnam so bad, but he came into central Vietnam and he brought it back. And now it's, it's quite thick in central Vietnam around Da Nang, uh, south of Hue. Uh, there's almost nothing in Saigon, but Hanoi continues to have about two or three new cases every day, which is uh, of significant concern to the authorities. I know here in Southern Ontario, it was, just around March break, so during a, uh, a break time as well, that the lockdowns and the restrictions started and seemed that we managed the curve over the next three months, moved into a, a reopening of sorts late June into the summer, and now we're seeing our numbers climbing again. Now, nobody's calling it a second wave, but um, 
it's interesting to see that there seems to be parallels between your situation in Vietnam and our situation here. It's also interesting how the resurgence of the virus, where you are from what you've said, has been contract traced to one person. So it, I guess it demonstrates the, 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 um, the validity of contact tracing. Contact tracing has been the number one tool used in Vietnam. They simply do not have the medical resources to conduct testing, nor do they have the medical resources to look after huge swaths of extremely ill people. Um, so they have used contact tracing as the number one tool from day one, and they take it very seriously. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Vietnam. No, but I, when all this pandemic settles down, I, I think I'm going to have the travel bug, and I would love to come and see that beautiful country. Oh, it's well worth it, but it's like a, it's a diametrically opposed philosophical organization to Canada. It's, it's unmitigated chaos. The roads are chaos. There isn't a single st stop sign in the entire country. I don't know why they bother to paint lane markers on the roads. Nobody lines up for anything. It's, it's pure chaos. So you look at a country like this and Prior to the pandemic, I studied Vietnam extensively when I was doing my master's, the American War. And I came here and I thought, how in the name of God did they ever defeat the Americans? There seems to be no social contract that binds them together. It's, again, pure chaos. And they talk about, you know, uh, about how well we really wanted to win the war. But, you know, if, if wishes were fishes, <laughs> you know... I want to be a millionaire, but I have to do more than just want it. When I saw the reaction to the pandemic, it all struck me as extremely clear how they pulled it off. Have you ever seen a, a, an armadillo walk? Okay, yeah. It, they kind it, of it, looks like a, it looks like a drunken war horse, you know, covered in armor, but half sideways like a drunk horse. Well, as soon as you scare that armadillo, it wraps up into a tight coil and you can't, you can't hurt the bastard because it's, it's covered in thick scales. And it was absolutely astounding how quickly and completely Vietnam rallied around the cause of defeating the pandemic. There were certain chinks in the armor. It's exciting to hear that it was basically the mentality there was everybody versus COVID. Almost a hundred percent. Now there, there was a few, you might even call it humorous exceptions. It was a rich man who was supposed to go into quarantine and he tried to hire an employee to go into quarantine for him, you know, but that's 0.001%. Otherwise it was a 100% buy-in and uh, Vietnam s survives on rumor a lot. There's not a lot of times, there's a lot of times there's no trust in government. And Facebook is, is allowed in Vietnam as opposed to in China. Uh, and it's quite heavily monitored, but it's very rare that people get in trouble for saying anything. I think you'd be more likely to get in trouble for saying something politically incorrect in Canada than get in trouble for, for breaking a rule in Vietnam. The information that came from the government was extremely simple and concise. Uh, and I talk about buy-in. 
in the West, it always seems, everything seems so fractured along left, right, <coughs> political lines. You know, we, we can't do this because it's socialist. We can't do that because it's too capitalist. Here, that debate didn't exist at all. Uh, the largest company called Bin Group donated thousands of cell phones to poor people who are put into quarantine so they could maintain contact with their families. Uh, Bin Group donated thousands of tons of rice to the poor. Um, every major company that had over uh, 50 employees was, was every employee who makes over a certain amount of money, and I can't tell you exactly what that amount of money was offhand, was required to give one day's worth of salary to the poor. Everybody wow. just went in 100%. And again, contact tracing. They knew where everybody was. And that's how they stopped it. To hear the companies there were donating so much, and then also they were doing some wealth redistribution, that's fascinating to me because where we are in the pandemic here in Southern Ontario is the neoliberals are starting to beat their war drums about the deficits uh, associated with supporting people through the, the months of lockdown where no one could work or leave their house. And it's interesting how over there they addressed it through collective action and through just redistributing wealth without being coerced, but because it's, it's the, it was the right thing to do. That's fascinating. I would want to be careful about saying that there's no coercion. Um, a lot of the private, now this is an extraordinarily, it, it's ostensibly communist you hear about that, but it's not. It's extraordinarily capitalist. The capitalist industry exists at the, at the mercy of government. So we can't know exactly that there wasn't some element of, you're allowed to continue to make money as long as. It would be interesting, the financial situation we're in in Ontario, if our provincial and federal governments took a similar approach with encouraging businesses to help with the redistribution of wealth to ensure that no one is left behind during the pandemic. Well, then you'd have your problem solved. Now, you mentioned something earlier that was in, that stuck with me. You mentioned that there was just some small things, I guess, around public health that everyone just started doing. That made me think about here, and I support public health. I want to be a team player. It's everyone versus the pandemic and COVID. They've asked us here to wash our hands more frequently. You're supposed to wash your hands before and after you pick your nose. Joking. They've also asked us to wear masks when we're inside and when we're outside to physical distance. Are those the similar types of things that the, the government there asked everybody to do? Identical, but there was no, there was no public debate. It was 100% accepted from the beginning. The government, I don't know if you saw it on Stephen Colbert, they made a pop song about how to avoid COVID. Um, it's a... The song is called Corona, and it got quite famous through, uh, through Stephen Colbert. And they played that song constantly. And it just says, you have to wash your hands for 20 seconds. You have to wear a mask. You have to be careful. If you get a cough, do this. If... And posters everywhere, everywhere. And another aspect of the buy-in that it weirded me out a little at the beginning, but, and it's still, I, I still struggle with how they pull it off. If a household was found with COVID, and we had one just maybe 30 meters down from my house, their address and names were publicized, and everybody knew they had it. 
and they so it was the police did not have to keep them in the house they were kept there by the neighbors and they were complete and utter lepers people would but people would bring food and money and leave it outside the door and then once a day they would come and collect the food and money and then after the two week quarantine period was up they were 100% integrated back into the community no hard feelings fantastic it's just done, just done. And That's, yeah that example reminds me of something i read about uh, the 1918 pandemic in galt ontario uh, part of the amalgamated cambridge uh, nestled along the banks of the grand river but people would go down the street ringing a bell identify houses with sick how many were sick and then they the at the nearby church there was a communal kitchen where the people were making the food and then delivering it to those houses that's interesting to hear and it made me make that connection to what was happening in uh, cambridge was that, a, was that a community uh was that a government or was that a spontaneous community action i think it was more of a spontaneous community response same here and same here it seems that the, what's different now 100 years later in southern ontario is the government the federal government working with the provinces tried to address it through income supports. I almost look at it like a living wage or a basic income where they gave that to people that had become unemployed. But yeah, it's interesting to see the parallels between time and time and space on this. Uh, I think it's interesting too, how they publicize the people that have it there not for them to be shamed or whatnot, to, but, but to be supported and avoided for, for public health and the greater good. I think it's also interesting uh, because I've done some reading about how you don't want to shame people during the pandemic if they have it, because that drives people underground and then it's harder to do the contact tracing. I know the universities in the States are really paying attention to this because apparently young people are more likely to struggle with physical distancing than other demographic groups. And they don't want students who are having trouble physical distancing who get infected to feel shame so they don't cooperate with, with best practices around um, contact tracing. So very complex and fascinating situation. Is everybody wearing a mask where you are? Uh, well, in Hanoi right now, it's mandatory. So. But just because something's mandatory, I'd say there's about 80% compliance. If you don't wear a mask and you're caught, you have to pay a 300,000 VND fine, which is about $60. I was in Waterloo shopping for seniors, and uh, I was at the Sobeys on Columbia up by uh, University of Waterloo, and I was shocked to see somebody in there not wearing a mask after the community bylaw wearing a mask came in. But there's no real inside. Teeth. It's a hundred percent inside. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. The bylaw here had no teeth and the pandemic also seems to be politicized. Unfortunately. So there's, there's, there's some people that are not getting their minds around it the same way as others. And you know, what can you do, but try to understand it and talk about it. Uh, but I was shocked to see people not wearing a mask. And then when I asked the, the, somebody that was associated with the store, they just said, if the people say they have a health problem, they have to let them in. It's interesting because I was just uh, swimming in Lake Huron the other day and I stopped somewhere and I had my mask on to go inside and uh, somebody didn't, wasn't wearing a mask and they, the, the 
clerk said, oh, why aren't you wearing a mask? And the woman said she had asthma. And I just thought, you know what? If I was too sick to wear a mask, I would probably be too sick to go inside a place without a mask. Because I think about the times I've been standing in line at grocery stores and I see people with, especially seniors and elders. And well, I have a word think, for people like that. And it's a liar. A liar. 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 Politicization. And I, I just, I've seen people with severe health problems waiting to get their groceries, seniors, and they've got their mask on. So I don't, I don't know. It's a tough one, but I don't want to shame anyone. I don't want to be unkind. I, I want to try to help. And it's good to know though, that the majority of people are taking these very simple measures to try to protect their themselves and others. Is shame, is, is shame a big problem for, for is the fear of shame a big problem with regards to the, the, the pan, with regards to COVID there? It's a good question. I can't give you a specific answer, but I know there's been the rhetoric I'm seeing online is there's these two groups. One is called a rat licker. And that's like the type of people that didn't believe in the bubonic plague and would lick rats. And then there's the other people, the sheeple, and they're the people that are getting used. And I, I understand there's systemic inequality in our societies and we need to address that. I, systemic racism, income inequality, environmental degradation, we've got to address all of those issues. But I think when it comes to an issue around maintaining our moist droplets and keeping them to ourselves, like I don't want anyone's moist droplets on me if it's going to have coronavirus. I, 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 I don't want to be a super spreader. I don't want to be a minimal spreader. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting. None of that debate exists here. None. It's not even on the radar. And None of that division. That's, well, that's reassuring. And it's interesting, I guess, how they say in economics, the, th the interesting things happen at the margins. And I do really think this is a marginal these are marginal factions, and I don't even know if the sheeple exist. Um, but it's... I believe I'm a sheeple. I believe that. I think that's you get, to refer to people like me. We, we just have to keep people talking to each other in a civil manner. Now, I've seen on the social media conversations around wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, deteriorating into name calling. And I, I understand when you get frustrated, it can, it can be easy to call someone a name, but the most important thing is to get people with different views talking so we can get through this thing. Yeah. I don't know how that's, that's going to, that breach is going to be healed. It seems like it's just getting wider and wider and wider in the West. Now uh, I, I'm not, I'm not in social media very often. It's just, a, it's just an issue of time. I, I, I enjoy checking out Facebook, uh, but I only get on about once or twice a week or every two weeks or whatever. But I, I had to unfriend or unfollow a whole slew of people from because the rhetoric just seemed over the top. And I can't, I don't want to see it. It's like that uh, social division arguing about something that it's hard to understand why we're, people are arguing about. It's one of the unforeseen consequences of COVID-19. But let's, let's, we have so, we have a little bit of time left. Where have you noticed any shortages of supplies, changes in routine? We had a toilet paper shortage here <laughs> in around St. Patrick's Day. Then we had we, a we flour shortage. It. We had a flour shortage for bread making. Then there was a hair product shortage. Have you noticed anything like that? 
commodity nothing. commodities being affected nothing. where you are? Nothing, nothing, nothing. There was one day where there was a minor, you might say a minor run on, on goods. And in fact, a small toilet paper run as well, because people read the Western news here. But nobody really uses toilet paper here. We use bum guns. So it's a very, you know, we get a roll of toilet paper that lasts us six months. I've seen um, bidets or what did you call it? Excuse me. Um, it's a bidet. It's a bum gun. It's, okay. it's like... It a looks like a the bum same thing. Gun? A bum gun. B-U-M-G-U-N, a bum gun. Yep, and it looks exactly the same as what people have on the side of their kitchen sinks. You know, there's a sprayer. It's a, like just, a bidet, okay. Now listen, yeah, if, just, you know, if you know any of the manufacturers of the bum gun, could you let them know about the pandemic show? We are looking for sponsors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when we, we have a house in Canada, when we move back, there's bum guns are getting installed. I'm going to bring a bunch with me because it's heaven. It's interesting. It I, know, odd. I know people here that got bidets as a result of the toilet paper shortage. It's in, that's interesting that that came up. Fascinating. It's, it, it's a little bit of getting used to it. But once you're used to it, there's just simply no turning back. I mean, just... Uh, Sorry, we also had a run on and a shortage of personal protective equipment. But now you, I'm seeing a lot of people with homemade masks, washable masks. Is that what the mask situation is like over there? Are they disposable? Both, both. Uh, now, masks were a very common feature of day-to-day -day life here long before the pandemic because of uh, particulate matter in the air from traffic. So people have been wearing a phenomenon to begin with. That's what we're hearing from, we heard that from Jamie in Cambodia, and we've heard it from other people that the culture in Asia has been wearing, it's been a mask wearing culture. So respectful that somebody who is sick would wear a mask to not make other people sick. And I wonder if that will be a lasting legacy of the pandemic here in, in Ontario. Now, I, I'm getting a notice from my computer that our internet connection is unstable, but can you hear me? Is everything okay? I can hear you. You cut out now and then, but it's, I can still hear you. I just want to apologize to our listeners at home, but uh, we're just doing what we can with the pandemic show, with the limited budget and technology at our disposal. And we're just so thankful that we're able to talk to Thomas today in Vietnam and to hear hear what the, the pandemic is like over there. What's the... Has there been positive changes? Has this brought the community together in positive ways? Or are we going to come out of this with some public policy changes that will make us stronger? Or are we going to come out of this more divided, fractured? Um, I, I think that like as with so many things here, I think it's going to just, it's going to run its course and then it's going to have run its course. Um, I think one of the big reasons Vietnam has been so incredibly successful is because SARS hit Vietnam hard. For the West, SARS was a rumor. You know, we had, we heard about how SARS is this deadly illness that's going to come across and devastate, and then it didn't do anything. So there was a lot of people thought it was, you know, the, the boy who cried wolf. Well, it wasn't here. Uh, it hit hard, and Vietnamese learned a lot about how to deal with situations like that. And so from that perspective, there might be a legacy socially. I don't know that it'll change that much. Uh, 
there's virtually no social distancing in Vietnam now, virtually none. They shut down the bars technically, but if you pay enough, you can still keep your bar open. Uh, they still keep it well under control. When we say that we're in our third wave, I believe that number for a country of 100 million people is, is what do you think? 900 cases total. For, from the very beginning, 900 cases. Wow. So, so, you know, and it was the experience. It was the experience from SARS. That's interesting because I know in Ontario, I know in Ontario, SARS was a thing, but it didn't kind of take off. There was a report about SARS, about how to protect ourselves for the next pandemic, but it seems like nobody wanted to, whatever governments have been in power, haven't funded the pandemic model. And I've heard though that one province that did have PPE when all this happened was Alberta. And it might've been because of the departing NDP government and their socially conscious um, way of governing and making sure that they're putting public health first. So it's, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting. Hmm. I, I, in all honesty, I get very little news from Canada. Uh, I read a lot of news, but of course it being on the opposite side of the planet, 99% of it is about America and, and the craziness in America, frankly. Well, I'll give you, you some know, highlights. The Raptors Please. are into the second round of the playoffs as they defend their the Raptors. The Toronto Raptors NBA basketball. They're in the uh, second round of the playoffs, ready to defend their championship from 2019. Big news. Um, lesser news, uh, and to be expected, not surprising. Toronto Maple Leafs have been are out and not uh, going to be winning the stand, hoisting the Stanley Cup again. And the Blue Jays are bouncing around uh, the states, trying not to get COVID. And they're playing out of Buffalo because of the closed border. They can't uh, play up here. But I wish all, you know, wish everybody well in Canadian sports. And I just want to say that the Toronto Raptors have been phenomenal in raising awareness and drawing attention to the importance of the Black Lives Matter social movement here in the West. And, um, They've really taken a leadership role in that. And I think that's something that all Canadians abroad and domestic, we could take great comfort in, in that. So yeah, there's some exciting things happening here. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, again, you don't find Canadian news uh, on online in an international context. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, anything I would find, I would see on Facebook or hear from family. Yeah, it's interesting. Word of mouth has really seemed to be driving communication during the pandemic. And then also the technology. I can't believe I'm talking to you in Vietnam and I'm here in Southern Ontario in the Grand River watershed. And we talked to uh, Meredith in Sheffield and her and her husband welcomed baby Patrick three weeks into the pandemic there. And as sad as it is that the grandparents can't hold baby Patrick, there's great comfort that they can at least zoom or video conference so i guess we are very fortunate with our technological advances to withstand to to get through this pandemic compared to previous pandemics well sure i have a nine-month-old son was born in november and so uh his grandmother his all his grandparents see him through uh online chat and it's uh, it's it's really really good now it's frankly online video has has been the reason that the pandemic has been so easy for us to digest financially because I'm a, I'm a teacher. 
And most of my students are older and advanced speakers. So I simply migrated online and it was, I won't say seamless, but it was quite easy. That's good to hear. And I wonder, one of the things I've wondered about is um, cybersecurity with the large transition from real life to virtual, so many different things happening. I, I just hope we're prepared for the cybersecurity aspects of that. Yeah, now Zoom, as we're on right now, I, I'm not a big user. I only use it for a, a small, small percentage of the classes I do online. Uh, I, I use Google. Uh, oh, do you? And yeah, Google Meet, and it, it mostly because, uh, A, I'm already a subscriber. I already, uh, I already have a, a Google account through, a, I use them to host my, uh, my domain but they've got a pretty good handle on it they've got a pretty good handle on it zoom struggled with some growing pains it seems to have it under control now i know I we're high to... risk for hacking with zoom just because it's free and there's very little security protocols or whatnot but i mean once we get the bum gun as our lead sponsor on the pandemic show <laughs> We'll have a little bit more play money to work on cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm going to try something here. I'm going to try to unplug my headphones, if that's okay. Oh, no. I'm, I wanted my wife to be able to, to hear as well, but she's say, suggesting that's a bad idea because of the baby. Oh. I wish, well, listen, first of all, I want to thank your wife and you for taking this interview. Uh, it would have been nicer if everyone was able to hear and participate, but I understand from being an uncle that when the baby is sleeping, you stick to routine and you don't make any unnecessary noise. Happy baby, happy life. <laughs> That's about the size of it. Happy baby, happy life. Now, would you be comfortable uh, if we follow up with you just to get the perspective of the pandemic in Vietnam? We really want to break out of the Western uh, gaze and Western focus of only thinking about the effects of the pandemic here. And I'm just learning so much talking to people in other, other continents and countries, seeing the similarities and differences. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, uh, I could talk for hours. Uh, you, you know me and I've, I've never had a problem going on and on and on. And, I've, <laughs> and it's, it is, it, the difference in how Vietnam has dealt with it versus the rest of the world is quite, quite shocking. You know, I think we're one of the few countries in the world that's going to have a positive economic growth rate. I, I think Canada's going to be negative 10% or something. Vietnam's this year projected to be positive 3.9%. And now it's uneven. The numbers tell a story, undeniably. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time away from your busy life and your family to talk to me and be on the pandemic show. And we look forward to touching base with you again over time just to see how things are progressing there. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I just wanted to take a moment to talk to everyone out there in the pandemic, living through the pandemic every day, just to deal with the huge array of feelings result resulting from the pandemic. As I started to do some poetry, I was inspired by by a podcast I was listening to about the pandemic from the Center for Disease Control, University of Minnesota. And the expert they had on their show had been writing poetry to deal with all the feelings and the feels. So I wrote this poem to help me and it's just a real pleasure to get to share it with everyone out there in the audience. 
I know we're all going through our own little version of the pandemic, but we are going through the pandemic together. It's called Antibodies with Our Love. Antibodies with our love. One, two, three, PPE. I hope we are all COVID free. Income inequality spreading like wildfire. Giant hogweed on our waterways goes to seed and spreads its burning sap. Sunlight done right. Got to be part of the COVID fight. Scotch thistle, wet your whistle. Seeds going to spread like missiles. Blow your whistle. Seeds are airborne everywhere. Watch out, they're in our COVID hair. Moist droplets, curly moplets, put on a mask, don't drop it. See someone pulling down their mask, lets out a cough and I stand back. Scratch my head, bad breath, worse than meth. Junkie on a diet, why did they try it? Who's putting the poison in the supply train? Fried bat, might try it, no way. Would rather roll in the hay in my bubble, bubble, wobble. Back to school in September. Ministry of Public Education run by the homeschool and private elite parts of our nation. Greed and fundamentalism in their blood. We will give them the antibodies with our love. So writing that poem and sharing it with you today, I just want to say thank you. And if you are inspired to create art as a result of the pandemic, please send it to the show. Please send it to the pandemic show. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemyshow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the pandemic show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic.